Pete Buttigieg can take his electric vehicles and his bicycles, and he and his husband can stay out of our girls' bathrooms. An inspirational quote from Kevin McCarthy. I know. You thought I was going to say Marjorie Taylor Greene. No. Those were Kevin McCarthy's words. That quote should be attributed to him. To Kevin McCarthy, now and forever. He's the one who said them. He just happened to use Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth to do the dirty work. Politics has never so closely resembled a circus in my lifetime as it does now. And if you've ever seen Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, then you know. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the geek. Once again, I'm out doing my best to control 83 pounds of very impatient, high-energy husky. So, while this Siberian maniac tries to drag me from one end of the neighborhood to the other, it's as good a time as any to tell you exactly why Marjorie Taylor Greene is the Republican Party's geek. If you've never seen Nightmare Alley, then you probably don't know the Depression-era definition of the word geek. I'll explain. Back then, the word geek didn't mean what it does now. If someone from that era heard the phrase geek squad, they would probably run away screaming. Here's why. In Nightmare Alley, the promoter describes how geeks are recruited. And I do mean geeks, plural. Now, there's never more than one geek at a time. But a flea circus back then would go through a lot of geeks. They were quite disposable. First, not just anyone off the street would be willing to geek. It takes someone really desperate down on their luck. Preferably suffering from some kind of mental illness like post-traumatic stress disorder from serving in World War I, for instance. The more of an alcoholic they were, the better, because it made the next part much easier. The last little bit of persuasion to get someone to be a geek usually involved spiking an alcoholic beverage with opium and getting them hooked. Then they would find out that they're addicted and they could have as much as they want as long as they would geek for the circus. Now, these little flea circuses during the day would have the typical circus acts. The world's strongest dwarf, the mentalist, the contortionist, the bearded lady. The geek was for the nighttime crowd. 
a more discerning audience who wanted to see a physically and mentally ill human being bite the heads off of live animals. That's what a geek does. The geek puts on a display that is completely depraved. A geek performs the most disgusting, vile acts imaginable. Callous, crass, vomit-inducing. And yet it's so shocking, people can't look away. Each time the geek performs, the geek gives away a little bit more of their humanity. A little bit more of whatever dignity they had left. You see, the geek, the geek is not learning a trade. The geek is not working their way up in the business. The geek is simply being used up by the circus that employs it. But there is a very important difference between the geeks in Nightmare Alley and Marjorie Taylor Greene. The geeks in Nightmare Alley, their tenure would end when they became so physically and mentally infirm or injured after spending months sleeping in a dirty animal cage, eating rotten scraps, dosing themselves with opium, that at some point they just can't physically continue. At that point they might be dropped off in an emergency room or just buried in a shallow, unmarked grave in the woods. Leading up to that fate, the geeks in the flea circus, they might chant to themselves, I'm not really like this. I'm not really like this. I'm not really like this. Trying to hold on to whatever shred of humanity they believe they might have left even though they've long since given up on leaving any kind of legacy or leading any kind of real life. It's a level of misery and despair that's incomprehensible to anyone who hasn't experienced it. And that's the difference between the geek in Nightmare Alley's Flea Circus and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Because while they are miserable beyond measure, she is having the time of her life. She enjoys putting on these disgusting displays. These displays are who she is. It's what made her such a perfect geek. And that's why her fate, when she's finally used up, and she is being used up. Make no mistake about that. She has no hope of any real career after this 
this seat in the House of Representatives. This is the end of the line for her. Now, her tenure is not going to end when she's not able to continue. Her tenure is going to end when she's no longer allowed to continue. And at that point, her understudy, Lauren Boebert, will take over and become the Republican Party's new geek. And then they will use her up and the cycle will start again. Now and for all time, the Republican Party, for the rest of the time that it actually exists, will always have a geek. Because now they actually need one more than ever before. And here's why. My uh, buddy is getting really impatient with me. He doesn't think I'm walking fast enough. Or maybe he thinks I'm talking too much. Are you a Republican? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Can you forgive me? Good boy. Anyway. Why would Kevin McCarthy, the one person who could actually get rid of Marjorie Taylor Greene, put up with her? Why would he tolerate her constantly embarrassing the Republican Party with antics like well, putting up a sign outside of her office saying that there are only two genders, deliberately to provoke her colleague across the hallway, the parent of a trans person? Why would Kevin McCarthy put up with it when Marjorie Taylor Greene makes disgusting statements like the one that she made about Pete Buttigieg and girls' bathrooms? And why? Why would he allow her to continue to be part of the U.S. House of Representatives after she chased down a child who was a victim of a mass shooting while declaring that she was carrying a gun. Why would he put up with all that and allow her to keep her seat? It's very simple. He's not putting up with it. He is putting her up to it. Every time she makes a braying jackass of herself in public. That is the moment that you need to look around at what else the Republican Party is doing, what they're really up to. It varies by the day. It could be a number of things at any given time. Historically, there's probably one thing that has the most immediate and measurable impact on your life and my life. And that is the way that the Republican Party has colluded with corporations to help them, to help them pay people as little as possible. Since the year 2000, 
cost of living in America has gone up. It's gone up about 400%. So it's approximately five times what it was at the turn of the century. However, pay rates for starting pay rates for any position under the upper management level at any given corporation have only gone up of an average of about 8%. That is a 392% difference between the increase in the cost of living and the increase in pay rates. Now for people at the upper management level and above, well, those, those, the starting pay rates for those positions have gone up directly in proportion with the cost of living. You see, you need a well-compensated group at the top to control the rest. So how did they do that? Well, they employed two techniques together. Simultaneously, they pursued aggressive deregulation and they destroyed unions in this country. As of now, only about 6% of private sector workers are unionized. Regulation and labor organization are the only two ways that we could possibly compel companies to do the right thing and pay people what they're worth. However, without a supermajority, the Democratic Party is not able to get any laws through Congress that would prevent all of the union busting that companies have been doing for the past 60 years. Really longer, but about 60 years ago is when it really kicked into high gear. By the mid-70s, unions were well, they were synonymous with communism and the mob. This was mainly propaganda. There were a few corrupt shops, sure, but the work they did was so beneficial that it would have been a much better idea to, well, fix the problem rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater. But the Republican Party well, they use these justifications to pursue an aggressive anti-union agenda. Last November, John Oliver uh, put out an episode of Last Week Tonight that explained what companies are actually doing to bust unions and make sure that their shops don't become unionized. At one Nissan factory, a female worker was trying to get her shop unionized so that they could negotiate for better pay. In response to this, just during her shift, 
they took her job, which normally was a two-person job, and they changed it to be a one-person job so that she had to do it on her own. The thing is, she was a badass. She absolutely rocked at it. So most of the time, she still made her numbers. However, she's not superhuman. So every now and then, she would get behind, and she would get written up for it. During that episode, you find out that shortly after that interview, she was written up a final time and fired. All of her efforts to unionize that factory evaporated as soon as she was gone. Amazon has videos that their managers have to watch that instruct them in all of the anti-union methods that Amazon employs. These managers are coached to listen for phrases like living wage. Those are literally referred to as red flags by the video. When they hear these phrases, they're supposed to report that to their bosses, who will then step in and handle the situation. This is real. Companies also like to employ a technique where, if they believe that one of their locations is about to unionize, they will announce that profits are down and business isn't doing so good and they may have to close that location. Now, it is illegal to threaten to close a location in response to unionization efforts. That's illegal, but announcing that a location might have to be closed because business isn't going so well, perfectly legal. There's only a very slight difference between those two things. But companies use this technique all the time. A very small change to the wording of the law that, that makes it illegal to threaten to close a location, a small change to that could close that loophole that allows them to manipulate the situation by announcing that the business might close for other reasons. Democrats have introduced bills to try to make this illegal, but again, without a supermajority, it just gets filibustered by Republicans. Aggressive deregulation and anti-union activities. Essentially, this is a coordinated assault, a pincer attack against the American worker. Think about the social problems that we have now. The problems that everyday people face all the time. And think about how much less severe these problems would be if everyone made even 100% more than what they do. We don't even need the full 400% that cost of living has increased since 2000. Even just half of that would change our lives, would change everyone's lives to the point that a lot of the social programs that rescue people from starving to death in an alley wouldn't even be necessary because they would own homes that they worked for. But 
That's a fantasy. The Republican Party would never let that become a reality. Not if they can help it. Now, the bribes Republicans receive in exchange for aggressive deregulation and union busting are nice. Oh man, are those bribes nice. But that is not all Republicans are getting out of this decades-long campaign of inflicting poverty on the rest of us. The less money we have, the more desperate we are, the easier it is to apply pressure to us by engineering cost increases in the areas of food, fuel, or any other commodity, housing, water, healthcare. The cost of anything goes up in the slightest, and people who are already on the edge of not making it are really going to feel it. And what the Republicans want is for those people to hurt and to look for someone to blame for that. It goes without saying that that's evil, right? I don't need to say that, do I? That that's just flat out sociopathic. Now, the result of this decades-long campaign of inflicting poverty on an entire country has resulted in America, the land of opportunity, having the largest wage gap in the developed world. That's right. We have the worst, most debilitating income inequality problem in the first world. You have to go to second and third world countries to find anyone, any country, with a comparable divide between the haves and the haves-nots. It's that bad. Now, when I first found out about this, when I first crunched the numbers and realized this, I was pretty surprised that the Republican Party was able to do this so efficiently that they were able to do this for so long without it becoming the centerpiece of the political conversation in this country. But then I realized why it's not the topic of conversation on everyone's minds. It's because for decades we've been distracted over here, they've been deregulating, killing unions, and doing everything they can to keep us as poor as possible, to make us easy to manipulate and to enrich themselves. But over here, the Republican Party's geeks have been putting on the most depraved, disgusting spectacles in the history of politics. Classic misdirection. Simple, but effective. 